Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 131. I'm your host, wow. Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the award-winning and internationally celebrated independent author, Melissa Addy. Hello, Barney. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank good. you for having me. So I, I, I discovered you with uh, through our, our mutual connection. Bethany Stahl just had her self the yes. awards. First annual self-pub awards, and she had on there. You won. You won one of the awards on there, and I was immediately drawn to the to the, the historical fiction stuff, which is I've always been a fan of, and 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 you know reading about that that was part of your, it was your Coliseum book series. It was book yes. two of the Coliseum source. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 then doing a deep dive then then learning about your forbidden city the forbidden city series and then you know learning more about your um then the moroccan empire series that you came out with too both of four book series correct yes yes okay. i seem to be sort of stuck in a loop of four book series <laughs> as long as i go and then i kind of stop and people go right right more in that series i'm like no no i've done that now it's <laughs> only working sets of four so far <laughs> And so I really want to kind of like ask you some of those questions on, you know, what the, the inspiration you've got through writing these, uh, these, in these historical settings. Um, and also just some, and you have, if anybody ever wants to just, you know, Google Melissa Addy, you have tons and tons of advice on, 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 on promotion and also just, you know, just some entrepreneurial advice for writers as well, which I've found some really fascinating some stuff on there that we could probably talk about in a little Thank bit you. as well yeah. um but first let's I, I, what i want to do is to kind of get our, our listeners and our viewers kind of you know jumping into kind of getting a little bit of a background of you and how you got into first writing your nonfiction stuff and then writing into your historical fiction stuff yeah, yeah. um so well when i was a little kid <laughs> and i think this happens for a lot of writers i was a very big reader um, and so I read a lot of mythology from all over the world. That was a big thing for me. Um, and I used to go to people's houses and my mother would remind me beforehand, even though she herself is, is also a very avid reader, um, she'd remind me beforehand that it's kind of rude to go to someone's house and just spend all the time inspecting their bookshelves and, <laughs> and then select something and sit there and read it all afternoon, <laughs> you know, like a bit of socializing maybe. Um, so I think all the books that went in, all the stories that went in at some point, they were going to come back out in a different format, in a new way. Um, so I I wrote a little bit uh, as a kid stuff and then uh, in my 20s. And then I kind of started, um, I got interested in historical fiction mostly because I was doing a little bit of traveling. Mm. Um, I was in Morocco. Um, so the Moroccan books are the ones that I started with uh, and in the guidebook, it just said, oh, um, uh, traditional um, uh, Berber jewelry uh, is this amazing, intricate silver stuff. And it's each piece is very meaningful and it gets given to you at different points in your life. And I just thought, oh, it'd be really cool if you had a novel where each chapter was uh, a woman's life and each chapter was an item of jewelry given to her to symbolize something that had happened to her. Um, mm. And I, I knew nothing about the history of Morocco. <laughs> so I literally went back in time along a timeline I found until I hit a point where I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting. I'll do that. So that was 11th century. Uh, so I started writing a novel set there. And that kind of, um, that was supposed to be a one-off. And then it developed into a series. Um, so it ended up being a series about four different women um, whose stories overlap. So you you'll read one and you'll be sort of very much in her version of events and then you'll read a different one and see things from a different perspective perhaps um so that's how the the historical fiction started and then um at the time i was uh working in business i worked in business for 15 years and a lot of my work was either developing new products or mentoring entrepreneurs and so at the point where i became an author i think all the I think all the entrepreneurs had rubbed off on me <laughs> and I ended up going down the self-publishing route and still my interest 
um, when I teach is to teach a sort of entrepreneurial approach for mm. writers. Right. So I think somehow those two things ended up linking together quite nicely, even though uh, there was a point where I thought, oh, so I'm going to give up all the business experience and that was that was for nothing. Now I'm doing writing. But actually, the two have come together quite nicely for me. So I've, I've kind of enjoyed that. Um, yeah. And so now I have 10 historical novels. Um, so as you say, two series of four, one in 11th century Morocco one in 18th century China, and I'm halfway through a series around the Colosseum. Um, and then I did some nonfiction along the way, because I think most creative people are told, you really must stick to one genre, you really must stick to one format or whatever. And I think most creative people aren't really like that. They kind of, they want to dabble and they want to explore things and they want to try different stuff. So um, I've ended up doing a bit of nonfiction and uh, a children's book just because I thought I better do I better do the picture book that I had in mind while my kids are still little and appreciate it. Otherwise, I'll be handing it to them as teenagers and they'll be like, what is this? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I've had fun exploring those as well, just for the experience and trying them out um, and kind of bringing a bit of the business stuff angle into them. Um, but I've sort of at the moment I'm. I'm very immersed in the historical fiction, right? Because I noticed too, you haven't uh, you haven't had like a, one of your nonfiction books out in a, a few years now. Yeah, no, no, I'm kind of focused on the historical fiction now. Right. Now, where where do you see the both but both aspects of it, the historical fiction and also the you know obviously your nonfiction stuff um, involves a lot of research. Yeah. Um, how much where do you see your how how often is it for for you as a writer where you um are disciplined enough or 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 you let the organic organic research happen where you kind of go into rabbit holes and you kind of keep digging it and you you end up getting new ideas how how does that work for you as as for the research aspect of things um, with the nonfiction, I'm, I, I read about 70 books on storytelling in a business context. So I wrote a book called The Storytelling Entrepreneur. And by the end of the 70 books, I was like, well, clearly there is nothing left to say. So that's the end of my book. Um, and I felt really a bit kind of about it because I'd really had this idea in mind. And then someone said to me, yes, but so maybe sometimes someone wants to hear it the way you said it. And I thought actually that was a really interesting point of view. And, and it's true because when I buy uh, nonfiction books on a particular subject that interests me, I don't usually buy one. I usually buy several and I'm, I'm reading, you know, similar ideas, but sometimes someone expresses it in a, in a way that really works for you. And so actually that was, that was good advice and that <laughs> reinvigorated me. And so I went back to that. So it's a, it's a good tip, I think, for nonfiction to think that you're saying it the way you're going to say it and it won't be the way someone else said it, even if it's the same topic. Wow, um, yeah. So, so that was a, that was a, a useful lesson. Um, with historical fiction, uh, I, I tend to, I do a shed load of research. <laughs> um, I end up, I buy a lot of books. That's where I start. I buy lots and lots and lots of books. The first few books I buy is just to see, this idea I've got is, is that has that got something solid behind it that I can dig into, or or have I made a mistake somewhere and it, and it isn't really worth looking into? Um, so, for example, the, the Colosseum series, I thought I'm interested in the backstage team of the Colosseum because yeah, there cool. is no way you're putting on gladiatorial games on that scale without a solid regular team it's just right. not possible and so i uh i thought well i'll just buy a few initial books on the coliseum you know very good quality in-depth books and i thought clearly in here somewhere it will tell me all about the backstage team and there'll be loads of stuff and maybe names of specific people and there was this sort of weird gaping hole of information where nobody knows anything at all about the backstage team nothing and not even the name of the architect who built it, nothing. And wow. so within an era that is actually extremely well-researched, has 
tons of information, uh, is this gaping hole in the middle of one of the most famous Roman buildings in the world. And I mean, for an author, that's kind of nice. You're like, oh, so there's lots of information and then a big hole that I can fill <laughs> how I want. Um, so I was quite pleased with that, but I was very surprised. And, and that told me at the beginning that I had something interesting that I could work with. Um, then what I try and do is I'll try and research until I can do daily life without thinking much about it. So right. I, I, I have to be able to just write someone's normal day. Um, and I can usually tell if I've done enough research because I can start writing. If you start and you go, uh, oh, no, I don't, I don't know how they do that. Then you, I haven't really got enough under my belt yet. Um, and then obviously if I've got something very specific for a scene, I'll get, you know, my documents out and I'll have them there. But most of the time I should be able to write regular daily life for whichever era it is. Right. Um, I really like going on research trips to the places. Um, and when I do that, I don't, I don't really take notes. I don't really, cause I've already done all of that. I, I just soak up the atmosphere. <laughs> I just stand there and go, oh, this is what it's actually like. Okay. Interesting. And I try and feel it a bit rather than, cause you know, you can, you could easily write something without ever having been there. There's so much information. There's so many photos and videos and plans and everything of big famous sites. So I do the research before. And then when I go there, I'm just trying to feel the atmosphere. So that was going to be my, that, that, that's, that goes into my next question. So well, before I ask that, I see that you do have book three is coming out. Yes, yeah, so uh, so this is this is the second one. So what you've got there is, yeah, those, that's all the Chinese ones, and then yeah, right here. So the first one is from the ashes. So that begins the series. This is book three. This will be on bloody ground. I always do, <laughs> I do covers very far in advance so that people can see what's coming next. <laughs> um, so that's the one that I've literally just started, as in last week. So. Okay. Wow. It might be a few right. months before that comes out, but it gives me, I quite like looking at covers while I'm writing because it gives me an idea of what I was thinking about and um, it lets readers know that there's something on its way. Right. Do you have, so, cause uh, your, 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 the book one uh, was that came out last February. Um, book two came out this past November. Do you, are you kind of keeping a, a movement of that like every eight months or so that you're coming out with a new book or i try i always think oh i could i could do two books a year <laughs> uh it's it's a it's a push for me to do two books a year um, right uh yeah and you know things like pandemics get in the way and make you homeschool your children for months on end and <laughs> <laughs> fun stuff like that um i would like to write faster but i just i don't write that fast i there are some authors who just write so fast and i'm like wow i don't i don't know how you do that really i i think they just spend more hours focused on the keyboard um i i think the research slows it down because there's a lot of it before you start. And then while you're going along, there's, there's still more. I made life a little bit easier for myself with the Roman series because I gave each one a theme. So it goes fire, water, earth, air. So I that enabled me to leave some things out. So book one, because it was fire, I completely left baths out of it. Right. I didn't have to research them at all because I was like, that's going into book two. Right. <laughs> So things like that, I, I was able to sort of shunt certain things into certain areas and go, I will research that when I get to it. Um, and that was, that was a way of breaking up the research as well. So as, as historical fiction authors, do you find readers of, of historical fiction and fans of historical fiction, are they harder to please or are they easier to forgive when there's a um, might be a, a, a bit of an inaccuracy in some sort of issue of technology or historical event. Yeah, um, I think two things happen. One is sometimes they've got something very fixed in their mind as being mm. historically accurate, oh, okay. which may or may not be the case. It, it's the sort of common perception 
but when you've gone and done all the research that isn't quite right so so the concubines for example anyone that if you say to them i write about chinese concubines in the 1700s in the forbidden city right they go all oh, right with the foot binding which, <laughs> which which is an obvious thing to think right we're in china and is these very elegant ladies surely surely their feet are bound actually the imperial concubines belong to the ruling class who are manchus and they don't bind the women's feet the people binding the feet are the han chinese who make up the majority of the population and this ruling class spends a lot of said a lot of times can you stop with the binding of the feet uh, and the imperial concubines who come to be chosen to be that uh, are not allowed to have bound feet. So, yes, the perception is they would have bound feet, and I have to find a way somehow to put into the book, no, they don't, not the ones <laughs> I'm writing about. But it's really difficult to put in because you can't go, oh, by the way, look, I don't have bound feet. Look at my feet, they're really big. Um, you can't do that. So you have to kind of find somewhere gentle where you can put it in. Mm. Um, and there are cultural expectations. So when I was writing about Morocco, uh, if anything, you would expect the women perhaps to be veiled. Uh, actually at that time and in that place, the men were veiled and the women do not veil their faces. The men are fully veiled, only oh. the eyes. Wow. And the women, so this girl here on a string of silver beads that you can see, she is actually dressed as a man in that picture. That's what she's trying to do. She's trying to pass as a man. So that was an appalling one to try and get past because I couldn't find any way of gracefully saying this. <laughs> but I knew that if I said I'm dressed as a man, which is practically the opening to the first chapter, right. then saying, so I've got a veil on my face is not going to work. <laughs> so with that one, I just had to put a historical note at the beginning. I couldn't find a graceful way of saying it. So I just put a historical note at the beginning that just went, by the way, <laughs> this time, this place, the men are veiled, the women are not. Wow. Moving on. <laughs> so uh, so with that, I'm, I'm also curious for you as well is that uh, when, you, when, you, when you come up with these stories, how, and I mean, you mentioned in a previous interview is like uh, when you, you were talking to some potential publishers and they said, Hey, can you write about the tutors or something? You're like, well, there's a lot already there. <laughs> Do you, are you writing these series based off of things that you've always wanted to learn more about? Or are you writing these series based off of, um, these are probably going to be good, good. Uh, uh, they're filling a niche that I haven't been able to find yet for readers. Uh, I, I mostly write for me. <laughs> I am my ideal reader. Um, the thing that I find funny is that the more I work on marketing and that kind of thing and, and people are saying, who is your target audience? And I'm like, uh, well, the more I go along, the more I realize they're me. They are, <laughs> me. They are, they are women. They are mostly over 40 uh, and, and they're like, they're me and the women who are a bit older than me and have a bit more time on their hands to read because they're retired or whatever. And I'm like, that's really interesting. So when I think about marketing now, I think, how would I find me? Because it, they are like me, which is an interesting thing to know. And maybe that's what happens when you write for yourself. It reflects back. Um, yeah, so that's, um, that's one thing. I... The first, so the first series was the Moroccan one because that's what I was interested in. And at the time I was trying to go down the traditional publishing route. I didn't know anything about self-publishing and, um, and all the agents and the publishers were like, uh, I don't know this 11th century Morocco. Nobody's heard of it. Nobody writes <laughs> it. And I thought that was a good thing. I thought, Oh, that will be my niche. That will be my thing that is I'm known for and blah. And they were like, no, that is not a good thing. You are a risk because you're a new writer. So that's already bad enough a risk. And then on top of that, you've got an era no one's heard of and no. So then they were like, write about the Tudors. And I kind of went, uh, no, <laughs> I like reading about the Tudors, but there's a lot of it out there. Right. Um, and then they said, well, what else have you got in mind? And I said, 18th century China. And they went, yes, that, write that instead. So uh, because I was trying to kind of, you know, go with the traditional publishing route. I dropped the Moroccan one, obediently dropped the Moroccan one, went off, did all the research, 
you know, we're talking years, wrote right. the book, came back with the first Chinese book uh, and got a lot more interest. Um, and, and eventually went self-publishing because we couldn't find a publisher. But it was interesting afterwards. They were right. I, I have to take, you know, I have to nod to them. They were right in that the China series outsells the Moroccan series. It's a more popular category. Right. But huh. with self-publishing, I was able to then continue the Moroccan series because I enjoyed it. And what I find is that readers will find me because of the more popular category. So they'll come in via China. Uh, they'll read that series and then they'll go, okay, well, so now I like your writing. I'll read wherever else you've got, wherever else have you got? And then you're like, well, I've got the Moroccan series. And they'll go off and read that. And the comment I most often get for that one is, oh, I knew nothing nothing about that era that or that place and i'm really pleased that i got to know it because of having come in via that more popular category and gone out to something a little more niche which uh, is the pleasure of self-publishing you get to follow your own interests right so where because you, you you did you did bring up earlier and you talked about how you went to visit you did research trips and a lot of it is you know, writing one-on-one is like, you want to get all five senses involved. Yeah. You want the reader to feel all five senses. Like you have, and you also talk about in some of your, your videos, to, like, you know, food is important in your stories. Yes. Um, so that's the taste. And then you talk about the feel of things. So like being there, feeling it. So there's that sense of the touch. So you mentioned like in the forbidden city, you want to see how high the built, the walls are. Yeah. Do you, what advice would you give somebody who who's an author who's who wants to write a book and like you know what listen that mount i can't remember mount tambor or whatever that, like in 1815 that that the east javan volcano i want to write a time period piece about that like would you what what would be your advice to say and they you know they they work a full-time job yeah. at like a, a store they don't have the money or the time to do that if money, if you know, money being an issue, what would be your best advice for someone to want to research that who don't have the capacity to, you know, go to Java? To <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think there's a lot you can do at home, actually. Right. I think you can cook the food, and that's a fascinating thing because you're going to start tasting things that are different from, from what you would be used to. So, food is an interesting one, music mm -hmm. is an interesting one. I often will find some music from the era hopefully or at least from that country whatever the traditional music is and try and listen to that and that can be a really interesting thing to sort of if you put that on every time you write it starts getting you in the sort of zone very quickly because you sit down the music comes on you're like okay da, 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 da. <laughs> um, so those kind of things help um sometimes it i mean the thing is about the past um nobody's been to 1700s china so <laughs> you know it's it's my version it's your version even if we're looking at the same material it's going to be our version of it um but i think you can do things to try and get a feel for it so one of the things i did with the, the first Colosseum book has pompeii it has vesuvius erupting and obliterating pompeii and not many books where pompeii is in the story do you see the aftermath? Mm. It usually is the lead up to, and we all know it's going to be bad, and then here it comes, and that's it. That's the end. Um, but I was interested in, okay, well, what does it look like afterwards? And, you know, there's going to be refugee camps, and the Romans are very organized. They're going to send the military in. They're going to set up tents. They're going to, you know, make lists of everyone's names that they can find and try and match them up again with their families if they survived and all the rest of it. Um, and I needed pictures of what does it look like when a volcano is just blown up? Um, and I went on the internet and found various landscape shots of uh, photographs of post eruptions. And they are really bleak. I mean, they're just really bleak to look at. And so I made a sort of montage of those for myself. Um, and I put off writing the scene quite a long time till I felt uh, quite into the characters and quite fond of them. And then I sat down with these this horrendous landscape in front of me and and had a go at it and felt quite, you know, 
you know, sad for them and, and, and appalled by the, the devastation that it would have had. So I think you can do a lot to try and put yourself in those places, even if, the, if it's not possible to be there in person. You, you mentioned too, it's one of the, one of the things for writers, for those that are listening and are looking into writing, um, one of the things you talk about is um, some of the entrepreneurial advice that you'd give is uh, is getting reviews that you always think is important to um, that where we were uh, ten years ago, even you know even five years ago. Yeah. Uh, do you feel as though that it's that self publishers um, have a bigger chunk and have a bigger voice now than they would have um, about five years ago or so. Yeah. I think it's changed so much. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, from the stats, you can see things like the, the ebook market. I think indies have about 30% of it now around, around there. Um, you know, you can look at the stats, but you can also look at how it feels. So, uh, so I'm now, this is going to be my seventh year of self-publishing. And I remember the, when I very first started, uh, I was very, very careful not to talk about being self-published, not to let the books look in any way that they could possibly be self-published. I just never mentioned it. I just, I was like, I'm not going to lie to you about it, but I'm not going to mention it either because it will get prejudged and i don't i don't want it prejudged i want you to read it and go oh that was lovely and then go oh, oh self-published oh, who knew kind of thing and now i think so that's six years later and then coming into the seventh year and i think actually it feels quite different it feels like you can go yeah actually i'm self-published you know and people are like oh right interesting and you don't quite get that oh, kind of oh, for you <laughs> kind of thing um and I think I think that's you, that's a measure of how it's changing. And even organisations that I've uh, been interested in, in being involved with in one way or another, and I've said, "Do you accept self-published people? Are we, you know, are we on board with this?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, we've just we've just changed all our policies and we've just whatever." Um, and you can see that 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 shift getting easier and easier. And I'm I'm so glad I'm doing it now and things like print on demand technology. I just, I just like worship it because <laughs> right. the idea of, Oh my God, before, if you wanted to self publish a, you know, people would kind of be a bit snotty about it, but B, you know, you'd have to print 5,000 copies and keep it in the basement and take it to the post office yourself. And, you know, just the, the ease of it is so right. much greater. Well, and also the self-publishing world has really democratized yeah. the uh, the the yeah. authors in yeah. a way that they can they can decide to go on their own like that. And as you said, I've seen yeah, just within the last couple of years or so, it's been uh, it's been amazing to see how acceptable it is now yeah. to to do that. And, yeah, and, I've, and there's, there's and also, I think a lot of it too is some established authors have decided to go self-publishing right yeah. now as well. Yeah. yeah. And in the authors who have really kind of uh, have then been approached to go trad publishing and they've gone, no thanks. And, you know, that, that was their chance if they wanted to go, oh, actually, this has been a real slog. You know what? I'll go with you. And they're like, nah, thanks, I like it. And, and you know, it becomes a choice rather than a oh, fallback position. Um, mm. And I think that's a, that's a really nice thing. I think it's just, it's good to know your options. And I, I, I'm always a little bit, uh, I, I don't like it when I meet writers who want to be published and they don't seem to know what the options are out there. And I'm like, mm. I, you really need to know because then you can pick whatever works best for you. And that could be traditional publishing, it could be self-publishing, it could be some sort of hybrid version, whatever. But to not know means that you are just, you know, meekly following whatever without picking the best option for you. Right. Um, and are you still are you still a part of the uh, uh, the Alliance of Independent Authors? Yes. Yes, I'm one of their UK ambassadors. <laughs> um, it sounds super grand. I have such a super grand title. Um, yeah, I am. I, I think it's really nice for self-published authors to have a, an organization that is standing up as their voice, that tries to open up more organizations, that tries to share success stories and tries to um, offer support and guidance and also to kind of point out any pitfalls that you might unwarily 
you know, fall into. You get people who sometimes go, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be published by this organization and I'm paying them £5,000 and they're going to publish my book. And you're like, oh, whoa, what, 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 what was that? That is neither traditional publishing nor self-publishing. That's you're getting scammed. Right. Um, you know, so stuff like that. It's quite nice for there to be someone who's trying to look out for people like that. Right. Yeah. And do you see, uh, it, so, so, you know, with that, you, you mentioned as well as like, you have a, um, a reading group, like you've, you kind of formed your own read it through. And this is part of their, your, your marketing piece of having, and I love what you've done on your website where, um, and you know, go to, uh, Melissa And on there, you actually have the, on right in the front, you're like, claim your free ebook here, then you get their email addresses. And then that this helps you with a, a, a connection of, yeah. of readers. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a way for, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a new writer, there has to be a way for people to easily want to come and sample the writing and see if it's their kind of thing. So it's, a, it's a very easy way in, um, so they can have a free ebook. It's, it's an opening novella to my Moroccan series. Um, so that's a, it's a way in for people. And then what that means is I can, you know, I write probably once a month or something um, to my subscribers, as it were, and uh, talk to them about what I'm doing and keep them updated and that kind of thing. And it, it's just a nice, it's a nice way of connecting with people and, and they write back sometimes and say, you know, when's the next book? And you're like, I've only just started writing it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Read one of the others. And they're like, I've read all the others. Right. Like, oh, okay. I'm trying. Um, yeah. <laughs> My keen readers read so fast. They're like me. They read so fast. And, and it's really hard keeping up with someone who can seriously turn the pages that way. So, right. um, so where have, so what have you seen for independent authors, the, uh, the opportunities or challenges that COVID has provided for independent authors? Uh, well, that was interesting. I think there was a there was a huge surge in book sales, which I'm pretty sure everyone saw, where everybody went, "Oh right, so we're stuck at home, better get some books in." And there was this, whoo. Uh, so that that was nice. That was a nice thing. Uh, it was really quite touching. I had some people contact me and go, "Thanks for a bit of escapism." You know, it, it was yeah. nice to just go somewhere else and enjoy someone else's life for a bit because this life's a bit hard going at the moment so you know that that felt really nice because sometimes you know i think i think all artists sometimes think well you know it's not we're not exactly saving lives are we we're, we're, we're creating something we're, we're having fun creating and but then you remember what it does for people actually actually art is really important to people in different ways so that was quite a nice thing um we all had to learn to go online pretty quick um it was a good way of connecting with people um i had to because i run writing workshops uh i had four different uh pieces of software to learn within the space of a month because everybody went online instantly mm. and they all chose different pieces of software and i was like could we not just all stick with one of them no no we've got our own bespoke thing like, right okay learn another piece of software um but on the plus side it allowed people to uh join into webinars so i used to do them in person at the british library and it's in london so if you're not in london that was a bit of a non-starter um and being able to do it online meant we suddenly got people coming in from all over the place so that was quite nice right and have you seen a, a an uptick on your your online coaching and workshops throughout the past couple of years as well yeah there was a there was a dip at the beginning because i think everybody just kind of wasn't quite sure what or how to do things um with lockdown and everything but then yeah then it started developing more and people often like to have coaching because it's quite nice to sit with someone else and have them go through what you're doing and point out a few things that might mm. be helpful and see things that are staring them in the face, but they haven't quite taken on board yet. Or just go, how about this little tweak that might help? This other thing might help. Why don't you do blah? Um, that can be a quite a nice thing to have someone else. 
being a self-published author can be a little bit lonely sometimes because you're supposed to take on all the responsibility and nobody's going, don't worry, I'll take care of that. <laughs> uh, you're the one that has to take care of everything. So to have someone else's input can be useful, I think. Right. And do you, so as a, as a self-pub, what are some of the things that now that you've been doing this for, uh, for seven or eight years now is what are some of the things that you started doing in the beginning that you wished you knew then what you know now about it? <laughs> oh, wow. I've got to look back over. I, I, I have to say overall, I'm pretty pleased with the things I did. I think the, I think the best thing I did was really take the time to get a handle on where self-publishing was at the time mm. and catch up as it were so not try and reinvent the wheel by myself but going up and read everybody else's stuff and understand how it all worked i knew nothing about self-publishing nothing at all i said right i'm going down the self-publishing route thinking and i don't know anything about it um and i think i i mean people like joanna penn who uh has the creative pen uh, website, fantastic source of information on self-publishing. And I think I just sat there and read it for six months. I think I read the whole website all <laughs> over and it's a really big website. Um, I think I read everything I could possibly lay my hands on. So really trying to catch up with where things were and what the standards were supposed to be and tips from other authors that had gone before me was a really good starting place. Um, and then I think because I had this sort of moment where I was like, right, you know what, I'm going to go full time as a self-published author. It was such a big jump that you just kind of had to be very bold and brave and just try for things. So I tried for ridiculous things. I, I applied with 10 days notice to be the British Library's writer in residence with a really quite substantial grant from the Leverhulme Trust. That should not have come off. <laughs> but it was too short a time and I was nobody and I hadn't published anything. And they said, yes, I have no idea why they said yes. Um, right. That was, was like, wonderful. that was back in 2016, right? Yeah, but it was yeah. wonderful. So I got this incredibly prestigious role for a year. Uh, and in that time we did a lot of really cool stuff. We did workshops. I wrote books. Uh, I learned, uh, you know, I, I developed a lot of new uh, workshops and webinars for people. Um, so it was sort of about being bold and brave and just banging on doors and going, hey, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you bang on enough doors, the doors open eventually. So it, right. it was quite a good tip, I think. You just really go for it and the doors open. Right. Uh, what, what would be some of your recommendations? So, uh, uh, when it comes to uh, other than the other than the uh, getting a creating your own email list, what are some yep. other options that you recommend for people to find readers? Uh, for finding readers, mm, I think one of the things that I'm I'm sort of doing this in in my seventh year is every now and then go back to the absolute basics, which is what's the cover look like. What's the blurb like? Can you get some more reviews? <laughs> because you can do all the marketing in the world, mm. but eventually the person you pushed to come and see you is going to end up on the same page. And the page has the cover, the blurb and the reviews. <laughs> that's what they're going to look at before they go buy, you know, right. before they press that button, that's what they're going to see. Um, so I'm kind of having a, a review of all of mine at the moment. That's that's what I'm up to at the moment. Um, and I think that's always worth getting really straight before you do anything else. And I meet a lot of new authors and they go, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this cover for now. And, and then I'm going to go and I've got a marketing budget for blah. And I'm like, mm, let's spend on the cover. <laughs> and then the other marketing will be a lot easier. Um mm. I think being able to um, to remember, you, you can ask the readers to do things and it's surprising how they respond. So the first few books I did, I never said, please write a review. I never put that in the book. 
And then at some point I was like, well, you know, it's a little awkward, but I'll ask. So at the end of the book, the minute the fin- it was finished, it immediately said, please, would you write a review? I really appreciate your time. I read all the reviews. I'm, you know, I'm very grateful for the nice feedback, blah, blah. And that book got six times as many reviews. Oh, wow. In, in a way shorter space of time than one that had been out for years and years. And I was mm. like, oh, that, that really worked. So it was just those little things where you think about what could you ask the reader to, to do. Um, sometimes when I run Facebook adverts, uh, people will respond to it as if you're their mate, <laughs> which I always find quite weird. I'm like, I'm, that's an advert you're interacting with. It's not me posting about it just randomly to your timeline. Um, so that's quite funny. But at the beginning, I was just very polite. And I just always went, oh, thank you for reading that book. That's That's lovely. Thank you. And that's all I ever said. And then after a bit, I was like, thank you for reading the book. I hope I can welcome you to Morocco next, or I hope I can take you to Rome next. And people are like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> so like, oh, okay. Because I felt that was pushy. I felt like, oh, that's a bit uh, salesy and stuff, and it sounds a bit... But people liked it. People are like, oh, yeah, yeah, all right. And then they wander off and get the next series. And right. So sometimes just those little things, actually engaging with those readers can be quite nice. Right. So when you have you know somebody who's a writer who is who basically thinks you know I can do it all I can edit my stuff I can make my own cover I'm good at formatting is there anything where you'd be like oh sweet summer child make sure you actually why don't you just thumb yeah. this aspect out what would be your advice for that? yeah um the formatting the interior formatting I've seen a lot of people do it well with with good software so like vellum and i know there's more software being developed but you know people who take the time and get the software and that i've seen that do quite nicely for novels and things um so you know i think you can learn that part um editing uh yeah it it is expensive to work with an editor and i get that you learn so much though because it isn't just a random here's how to edit a piece of material. It is a bespoke piece of work commenting on you as a writer and how you write. So when I first worked with a structural editor on a book, um, I had another, sorry, I was working on the Chinese book. The Moroccan book was sat in the drawer because I'd been told not to do Morocco (laughs) uh, and I hadn't gone self-publishing yet. So, uh, but when I'd worked with the structural editor on the Chinese book, I then went and looked at the Moroccan book and I just saw it in a completely different way. And I was like, oh, right. Well, chapter one just needs to disappear. That is just not even in there. And then this needs to happen and that needs to happen. And it made me see my own work in a completely different way. So as a learning experience, it massively improved my writing. So I definitely think people should work with an editor as often as they possibly can. Um, It's always good to have a friend whose English is moi so that you can uh, feed them chocolates and go, here, read the book, find the the errors, tell me the grammatical faults. Um, That's always helpful to have on hand. Um, covers seriously get someone to do the cover I just I just I just and this okay so this is really funny because I used to work with entrepreneurs and they were food entrepreneurs trying to get into supermarkets and they really wanted to be listed by the supermarket and the number one conversation I used to have with them was I used to look at the packaging and go who designed the packaging and they'd go oh my niece who's really good at drawing and stuff and blah and I would be like yeah (laughs) thing is i can see your niece did it and it's it's a nice idea but it doesn't look like the stuff on the shelves it doesn't look professional and it's letting you down and then i got into the book writing world i was like why am i having the same conversation now about the packaging the the cover we're back to the same thing it's because at the end of the day, it's a product and right. it has to stand up on the shelf next to the other stuff. And if it doesn't look right and, you know, I'm looking at my own covers now and I, I look back at, you know, when I did the fragrant concubine, it looked really beautiful and it looked it was appropriate seven years ago next to other stuff in my category. And now I look at it and I'm like, mm, that's not what historical fiction looks like at the moment. Historical fiction at the moment 
has a very specific look and my books don't look like that. And I think I'm going to have to recover them, which is a bit of a, oh, because it's so expensive. (laughs) But, you know, you have to know what's happening in the market in your category and think to yourself, would they pick up my book? If it was mine and it was one of these other books next to each other, which one would they pick up? Right. Right. Now you have, you have, as you said, you're, you're working on book three yep. of the, your Coliseum series. Yeah. Um, just, you know, not to, not to nail you down on anything, but I'm just curious about how many, how many historical settings are you that do you have listed on your to-do list? Like I really want to, make this <laughs> uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, but sometimes I have an era or a location that really interests me, but I haven't found the story for it yet. Right. So I said to someone, so someone said to me, Oh, I wish you'd write something set in ancient Egypt. And I said, Oh, I, I want to, but I haven't found the story yet. And they right. said, Oh, well, there's this, there's this Pharaoh and that Pharaoh and something. And I was like, that's not how it works for me. I, I will read something very, very small somewhere. It will be a really little thing like the Berber jewelry and it will go. And then I'll be like, ah, that I will do that. It's like, you know, the backstage team of the Coliseum. I'm, I'm interested in ancient Rome generally, but it took me quite a while to come to, Oh, that, that would be, what is that? Is that a thing? And then that, that I realized that was a thing. So probably lots of places. New Orleans. I so desperately want to do something in New Orleans. It's the most beautiful place. Um, yeah, but I haven't got the story yet. So right. one day. Yeah. That's great. So uh, so where can people, if people are interested, near Pinterest, I saw your previous interview talking about some people were pretty uh, fascinated. You, you use Pinterest also as a, uh, as, as a tool, a marketing tool to also help people get engaged in you as a as an author as well yeah so i started using pinterest for me and all my boards were locked (laughs) and secret um so yeah so i started using them for me and thinking uh okay what can i uh just really nice visual stuff it's like what it is it's a mood board so you could pin a load of stuff on there and go oh these are the costumes and the artifacts and the settings and the whatever So I would create a a good hundred odd pictures on a, on a Pinterest board for myself. Mm. And then as I published each book, I thought, actually, if I, if I opened up that, then people could have a look at those things because, you know, they don't know exactly what the costumes look like or, or how you flood the Coliseum or whatever it is. They don't know what Berber jewelry looks like. So this would be a nice way to show. So as each book comes along, I tend to um, unlock the the board and then uh, show it to people. And I'll I'll mention it to readers and say, if you want to go and poke around the the images from that book, then that's where they are. Cool. Excellent. So letter, so you have... Yeah. So if anybody's interested in, in, in follow, following and in, in getting a hold of your books, they'd be going to melissaaddy.com, correct? Yep. That's okay. me. All right. Good. And that's yeah. my imprint, Letterpress Publishing. As you rightly noticed, that's my letterpress <laughs> on the wall. Right there. There it is. Letterpress, <laughs> letterpress Publishing. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, we're at we're at our hour mark already, Melissa. So. Wow, that was quick. Yeah, see? <laughs> you ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- well, thank you very much, and I'd love to have you come back on once you have your, you know, your uh, book three come out. Where you're calling? Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> that would be yeah. fun. Yeah, I'll come and tell you all the all the underground parts. We're going, <laughs> we're going Earth. This is underground. Underground yeah. stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you have for What do you have for um, you had fire, water, earth, and we, what's going to be the wind? So yeah, air is going to be um, the valerium. So the valerium is the awning that goes on top of the Colosseum. And wow. it is an incredible feat of engineering because you imagine the size of the Colosseum. It took 200 sailors 
to come and do the it's like rigging so they right. you've got to rig it up and because the heat i mean in rome to sit in an uncovered arena in the heat of the day i think would just about finish anybody off no my lions you don't need lions you just faint in the sun <laughs> so that will be the last bit that will be the air with the awning going up that's amazing so you're going to be doing a story about the get that the folks who are putting up the awnings yeah the so uh, so each book the coliseum itself changes in some way that reflects that theme and the the team are trying to deal with whatever's going on in their lives wow that's, that's exciting. <laughs> it's fun I, and i'm sure nobody's there's no historical fiction book about the folks that did the awnings on the coliseum i don't think so i haven't no, come across so. it i did look <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, it's. I saw a, a really cool um, documentary where they were trying to replicate it, and it was so difficult to the coordination. It's huge. It's a huge, wow. huge piece of work. Wow, cool. <laughs> good for you, Melissa. That's exciting yeah, stuff. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Got to read right. up on engineering. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank yeah. you very much, Melissa. And it was a it was a genuine pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, buddy. That was really fun. That behind you is that a is that one of those uh printing press yes things? well done that is i'm getting out of the way that is a letter press uh and it's an old one and i painted it black and gold and i put my little precious things in it um they're usually something to do with with historical stuff so for example when i start a new series i'll try and buy something that actually came from that era obviously i can only afford like really tiny things but still you feel like wow i got something from that period and uh, my imprint is left of press publishing so it seemed like a nice thing to have in my office right okay and uh yeah so that's that's what that is it's has anybody else noticed that it was a letter press thing no you are no. very observant <laughs> well done yeah yeah no i i went looking for one because they're just so there's something really nice about them i like that they're connected to books and Right. They're just nice, all the little fiddly bits and tiny little bits, and you know, right. yeah. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah, I get a bonus point for that, then, right? You do. Yeah. Bonus point for that. <laughs> well spotted. <laughs>